Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. If you're a Bible flipper and you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, if you can, to the book of Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 1, and you can just park it there. Uh, I want to read verses 3 through 7, and I'm going to read today out of the easy-to-read version. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, just to give us a springboard and a little bit of context. The Bible reads this way. They, that's referring to some Jews who had visited Jerusalem, they answered Nehemiah. The Jews who escaped captivity and are in the land of Judah, that's in Jerusalem, are in much trouble. They are having many problems and are full of shame because the walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah said, When I heard this about the people of Jerusalem and about the wall, I sat down and cried. I was very sad. I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven for several days. Then I prayed this prayer. Lord God of heaven, you are the great and powerful God. You are the God who keeps his agreement of love with people who love you and obey your commands. Please open your eyes and ears and listen to the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. I am praying for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins, notice this, we Israelites have done against you. Notice how he included himself. I appreciate that about him. I'm confessing that I have sinned against you and that the other people in my father's family have sinned against you. We Israelites have been very bad to you. We have not obeyed the commands, rules, and laws you gave your servant Moses. That's Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. We're starting a new series today, a short series across all three of our campuses, and we're calling it A Great Work. Come on, would you say it with me? A Great Work. Here's a subtitle that I felt like the Lord laid on my heart. Here's a subtitle to this. Laying hold of who God wants us to be and what God wants us to do. In Nehemiah 4.19, just as a note, we won't turn there. Nehemiah had been surveying all of the damage, prayerfully, looking at things through God's eyes and taking an inventory of what has to be done. And in verse 19 of chapter 4, he said, The work is great and extensive. The work is great and extensive. If you didn't know, the word or the name Nehemiah means Yahweh comforts. The comfort of Jehovah. And this is what he received from God, comfort, and this is what he brought to the people of God from God, comfort. And after Jerusalem was defeated and captured by the Babylonians, a small amount or a remnant of the Jewish people 
returned to Jerusalem. And these people had laid a foundation. They got sidetracked. And then eventually they finished building the temple. But they were in need of protection. And they were vulnerable because the walls of Jerusalem were still broken down. If you don't know the story, God's people for many years were encouraged to get things right with God. But they were idolatrous. They were worshiping other gods. They weren't walking in God's ways. They wouldn't listen to the prophets that God... Jeremiah, holy smokes, I think I have it hard. Jeremiah, for 23 years or so, he preached the message of God to people, and they never turned. They never listened. They never decided to follow God. They just kept living their own way. Well, eventually, because God is a loving Father... Come on, somebody say amen. Eventually, because he's a loving father, he had to bring some correction. And so he used uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and he used the Babylonian people to defeat and destroy Jerusalem and the temple, their place of worship. And so God's people had to go into captivity. Nehemiah had never even seen Jerusalem. He was born in captivity. But he hears this news and his heart is just is, is aching for what's happening in Jerusalem, for God's people, for the city, for the walls. The, the lack of fortified walls was a big deal. Uh, fortified walls in that time, and even today in some other areas of the, the world, fortified walls were, were huge. It could be like 40 feet tall, 8 feet thick. And they had different gates where people would come and go from. And these walls were a sense of protection. From the enemies, well, they were all in shambles, so God's people were defenseless against their enemies. And Nehemiah, he had a heart for God. He was a Jewish man. He worshipped God. And he had a heart for God's people. And he wanted them to be in a relationship with God, and he wanted them to be safe and cared for in their relationship with God. And so we might ask, but Pastor Robert, how, how does this relate to you and me and to what God wants me to be or what God wants us to become and what does God want for us to do today. This is how it applies. We have to have a renewed understanding that the local church does not exist only as a place of corporate worship. We also exist, listen, to extend Jesus and win people into God's family where all of us together can find salvation, safety, healing, and restoration. Come on, isn't that a good objective? All of us together. God wants for us to find these things. He wants for us to flourish in these things. And so the goal, if I could say that, the goal of this little series is that we would see, not with just our eyes, but our hearts, this great work that God has called us to accomplish as we become who He's called us to be, and as we do what He's called us to do. And the title of today's message, right out of the gate, here it is, Get a Burden. And that's a fill in the blank. The word is burden. Get a burden. Come on, would you say it with me, church? Get a burden. Notice Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Notice it again. He said, When I heard this about the people of Jerusalem... And about the wall, I sat down and cried. I was very sad. Some translations say, I was mourning. 
I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven for several days. Fasting is abstaining from physical food and seeking God and seeking the heart of God and the perspective of God instead of eating. He said he fasted and prayed. Not for several minutes. Several days. Come on, that, that's not easy. But, but notice, he, he was just, he was torn up. I remember when um, Yolanda and I were the campus pastors at our Rock Hill, South Carolina campus. Over there, all your, your way, over that way, your neck of the woods, right? about an hour from here, close to it. We'd been there for about five years. We went there with about 20 people from our TKK campus. The church had been closed. It was a restart like this one. And after about three years, nobody was coming. It was difficult. God had favor. People started coming. After five years, it was flourishing. We had full services. Over 100 people. People were coming. We were impacting the community. We were drawing people from the neighborhoods. We were breaking the law, driving the bus with over amount of people on it that we shouldn't have. I don't recommend that. It was fun. We were ministering to people. And uh, just about the time when we felt like, all right, we're going to go to like two services. We're going to really begin to expand. God spoke to our hearts. And we heard that this particular church campus was closed down. And there wasn't worship taking place here anymore. And there was no ministry taking place in here or through here for the community anymore. And as much as it would have been easier to just stay over there, when we heard that, it broke our heart. And we're like, that's not right. The house that was dedicated and built to the worship of Almighty God ought to have some ministry taking place there and ought to have some ministry and life and the love of God flowing from there. Amen? Amen. And so I can't say that I understand exactly what he was going through, but I get it to a certain degree. He was sad. He, he was fasting and praying when he heard about what happened. you got to remember in verse 3, he gets the news that those who had survived the captivity, thank God they survived the captivity, but now they're back in Jerusalem and they're in much trouble. The New King James says they're in great distress. They're having problems and they're full of shame because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. What Nehemiah heard both with his ears and his heart was that the people of God were hurting and were vulnerable to their enemies. The people were in great distress. They were hurting. Uh, they survived the captivity, but now they were hurting. They were vulnerable. They were in distress. There was some shame. There was some embarrassment. Now you got to catch this. Nehemiah, if you didn't know, he's living in luxury. He's a cup bearer to the king. How many of you would like to be the cup bearer to the king? Sounds like a good job, right? Until you find out that part of his job was to test the drinks to make sure there wasn't any poison in them before he gave it to the king. Come on, I'll pass on that job. But he was a cup bearer. But what I want you to notice is he's living in kind of the lap of luxury. He's living in the palace. He's a servant to the king. He's probably dressed in the finest apparel. There is no lack at all. 
He doesn't have to be burdened. He doesn't have to have any thought or concern about this. But when he hears about God's people and the news of God's place being destroyed, his heart breaks. He sat down for many days. He's sad. He's fasting. He's praying before God. He's praying for God's people. Notice, he's repenting not only for their sin, but he's including himself and he's repenting as if he's just as sinful as they were in whatever happened. That's a sign of a good leader. He was a good leader. He didn't say, you, you, I'm praying for all those people who messed up. God have mercy on them. No, he included himself. He's asking God to intervene. He's, he's asking God somehow to bring restoration and reestablish blessing and the city and the fortified walls. And he hears a call from God. And if you study the book out, he's the one that God uses to lead the rebuilding of the walls and the city and eventually a spiritual revival. But there is no leader in and of himself that can do a great work of God. It takes people to capture what God wants to do in and through them for the benefit of us as a family and for the benefit of those who aren't even here yet, who will be one day. Amen? So to lay hold, listen, to lay hold of who God wants us to be and to do the great work God has for us, the first thing we have to recognize is this. Listen, number one, fill in the blank. Nehemiah had a burden and so should we. Come on, say it with me. Nehemiah had a burden, and so should we. Pastor Robert, I thought we're supposed to cast our cares under the Lord. I thought we're supposed to cast our burdens. You're confusing me. Well, we are. This word burden, it means something emotionally and spiritually heavy that you're willing to carry for the cause of Christ or for the cause of people. It's a source of great Worry or stress or weight, or I could say this, responsibility, needing God's intervention. And God will give us the grace to carry that kind of a burden because it's for the benefit of the kingdom of God, it's for the benefit of the family of God, and it's for the benefit of the people who aren't yet part of the family. God will grace us for that. Jesus had a burden for people. All throughout the scripture, Words like compassion and mercy and pity and love. These are all words that are synonymous with having a burden for people and the way Jesus saw them. In Matthew 14, 14, it's not on your notes, but it's a wonderful verse just for me to read real quick. Matthew 14, 14, it says this, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and when he saw them, he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed them. He was moved with compassion. Jesus saw people who were distraught, who were diseased, who were sick. In one other translation or another verse, it says that he saw people, they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd die. Sheep without a shepherd aren't cared for. Jesus had a burden for people. This word, compassion, uh, it means to have a feeling that is in the very depth of who you are of mercy and pity for people. 
And it's something that God puts in you for others. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So Nehemiah had a burden, and so should we. So I don't want anybody to feel any guilt or condemnation. I'm just asking these questions for us to consider. Do our hearts break for people who have been defeated and taken captive by the enemy? Do our hearts break for people whose walls in life, so to speak, are destroyed and they are now vulnerable to the enemy? The protection that God wants for them to have. The safety that God wants for them to have. The peace that God wants for them to live in has been stripped away, destroyed by the enemy. Do our hearts carry this burden for people, for one another? And for even people beyond our family. Do we have a burden for people whose lives are vulnerable to the enemy and they desperately need God? Do our hearts carry that kind of a burden? How would I know, Pastor Robert, if I have a burden for people? Well, I think there's a lot of different ways we could be inclined to say, hey, that that could be an indicator. But let's go back to Nehemiah. Notice what it said. He repented. He fasted. And he prayed for people. Those are ways to determine whether or not you have a burden for people. Let's not think globally. Let's not even think citywide. Let's not even think churchwide right now. Just think about your family, your kids, your spouse, your parents, your grandchildren. It could start there. God cares about the walls of protection around your household, around your family. Let me just encourage us not to be so distracted and so overly consumed with the temporary flighty stuff that this life is pulling us towards because God wants for us to have this burden for our family, for our loved ones, and we could be praying for them. We could be fasting for them. Listen, we could be repenting for them. Some of us are living in a sinful lifestyle I'm not being mean. I'm just being graciously biblical. Some of us who live in a sinful lifestyle, whether we realize it or not, that causes the walls to be ripped down by our own doing. And then the enemy gets in there and he helps us because he only wants to destroy us. So if that's happening in our family members, we could even be standing in the gap. Come on, any intercessors ever heard that word before? We're standing in the gap for them and we're praying for them because they may not even realize that that's happening in their lives. Pastor Robert, this is a pretty big, pretty meaty story. I get it. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He had this big assignment from God. But it's not the same for us, is it? It's not the same. Well, it's not the same in every way. But it's the same in more ways than we would want to admit. Just think about people. Think about the world. Think about your neighborhood. Think about society. Maybe even some people in this building. People who will be watching this Message a little bit later. Some people are experiencing great distress. Some people are in shame. Some people are very vulnerable to the enemy because they don't have any protection, any spiritual walls, so to speak, to protect them from the enemy. Well, that's concern to God. Think about these scriptures just real quick. Romans 6.23, you know it. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Proverbs 14.12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. 
Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, We've been made alive who were once dead in trespasses, and by nature we were children of wrath. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, ultimate guilt, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? But did you notice the projection? I mean, excuse me, the progression. It started with the wages of sin. But as we progress on this pathway of scriptures, we can stand before God guiltless with no condemnation, righteous before him in a relationship with him. Jesus said, the thief comes except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. That's John 10.10. What does that mean? Apart from Jesus, we're dead in our sin. And because of our sin, we experience hurt, pain, and distress. The wages of sin is death. And although to many people there is a way that seems right, but its end is destruction. And in our distress, apart from Jesus, we not only feel the pain, but we feel the shame, the guilt, and the condemnation. And apart from Jesus, we're vulnerable to the enemy And he, the enemy, only comes to steal and to kill and destroy. God cares about people. So like Nehemiah, as a people of God, we should have a burden for the people around us. Starting with your family, and that even ripples out to your church family, and then it goes beyond the walls of the church into the neighborhoods and the communities and the workplaces and wherever else we do life. God has a genuine concern for people. There are so many people, listen, in our churches, in our families, in our cities, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, that although they have a smile on their faces and everything looks good on the outside, they're living with broken down walls of shame and distress, and they're very vulnerable to the enemy. What does that mean? They don't just need Jesus. They need a church that knows and walks with Jesus. It's not enough just to look at somebody all messed up and say, oh, they just need Jesus. No, Jesus comes through people. Jesus comes through a church family. They don't just need Jesus. They need a church who knows Jesus. They need you and I who walk with Jesus, who talk to Jesus, and who are in fellowship with Jesus. I'm not saying that people don't need Jesus. All people need Jesus. We know that. He's the Savior. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. But if we're not careful, we, myself included, we could remove ourselves from having any sense of responsibility and say things like, well, he just needs Jesus. But people don't just need Jesus. People need the church that has Jesus. They need a church community that is fully prepared and is learning to be even more prepared and ready to welcome them in, to love them, to disciple them, to be in a place of safety from the enemy where they can find healing, experience freedom, and grow and mature into the fullness of who God has made them to be. Come on, can somebody say amen? Amen. This is what people need. This is a great work that we get to be part of. Acts 2, 46 and 47. Just listen to this. So continuing daily with one accord or in unity in the temple 
and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Notice, the Lord added to the church family daily those who were being saved. We talked about this in our Wednesday night discipleship group. The Lord adds people, not just automatically, people get added to the church when they hear the gospel, when they hear the good news, when they hear the love of God. How do they hear without a preacher? How does a preacher preach unless they're sent? And when I say preacher, I don't mean like what I'm doing. I mean someone who's going to herald the good news, someone who's going to share the love of God with other people. God adds people to the church family because He cares for them. He wants them to have fortified spiritual walls. He wants them to experience His goodness and His love and His protection. Notice Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Then the word of God spread. Notice this. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were even obedient to the faith. So in one text, we see God added people to the church. In another text, we see God multiply disciples in the church. He wants to add people, and he wants to multiply people into the church family. Why? Because he loves people. If you have a Bible and you're a fast flipper, I have to show this to you in the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 8, catch this. Therefore, verse 4, Acts 8, 4, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, Philip, not one of the original apostles, but a servant of God, a man of God. Then Philip, he went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, listened to the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and lame were healed. Catch this, verse 8. I love verse 8. And there was great joy in the city. Come on, somebody say joy in the city. Notice that. Jesus was preached beyond the walls of the temple, beyond the walls of the church. There was a revival taking place. People were set free. People were healed. People were delivered by any of that dark stuff that was oppressing them and keeping them discouraged and depressed. All of that got turned around because of the message of the gospel, miracles, signs. I mean, God broke out in the city. And the city was full of joy. But how did that happen? That happened through the church. The church was scattered. The church went beyond the walls. How many of you ever heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Good Samaritan. Nutshell and a different spin. Listen, listen, in a nutshell. The story of the Good Samaritan. It's about a man who's traveling on a long road and he fell among some thieves. He was robbed, he was stripped, he was beaten, and he was left for dead. There came along a priest and a Levite. They represented the law and religion. And guess what? They passed him by. Then came the Good Samaritan, right? And by the way, he would have been a socially outcast and rejected person because Samaritans were like of a mixed race, so they were frowned upon. And this Samaritan actually had compassion on that guy who was beaten and left for dead. He bandaged his wounds, and he brought him to an inn for him to be cared for. Now, you can make a case that in this passage, 
the Good Samaritan represents you and I. How many of you heard that before? That we're supposed to be the Good Samaritan, the one who doesn't overlook people in pain, but who picks up people, cares for them, and then helps them to be healed and find wholeness. However, I think that you can also make a case that the Good Samaritan is not you and I. Rather, the Good Samaritan is Jesus, who although he was rejected by man, he was moved with compassion for humanity, and what the law and religion could not do, Jesus did. He gave up his life, and in his brokenness, he picked us up, and he brought healing and restoration to our lives. Sound good so far? Somebody say amen. If this is so, then who are we in this passage? Catch this. We, you and I, are the in. Jesus saves people, then uses others to bring people to an inn, a place where he can leave them that will care for them, that will nurture them and disciple them and love them until he returns. We are the church, and the church is the inn where God adds and multiplies people so that they can be loved and so that they can be nurtured and so that they could be cared for. How many of you believe we need more churches like that? That's what we need. And so this is going to lead me to the second thing this morning. Who we must become and what we must do in order to accomplish this great work that God has for us. Number two, Jesus saves people and the church cares for and disciples people. Now, some of you may not be uh, using that term disciple very much. Don't let that throw you. I'm going to explain to you what I mean. But Jesus is the Savior. We all agree with that. And the church representing the inn or an extension of Jesus, part of our role of the church is to care for people, to love them, to serve them, to help them. And there's all kinds of different ways. We've got a lot of great servants of God in our family here who do that really, really well. I want you to notice, if, if you've ever been concerned about a brother or a sister of the Lord... Notice the license that we have to care for people. I'm going to just read it real quick. It's in Galatians. How many of you know where Galatians is? Giants eat peas and carrots. You've heard me say that before. Listen to Galatians 6, 1 and 2. He's talking to the church. Listen. Brethren and sistren, if a man or a woman is overtaken, that means caught. That means overpowered. In any trespass, going beyond God's word, going beyond God's way, living outside of the boundaries of what God says is healthy for you, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Notice verse 2, Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Come on, no bashful people in here. Anybody willing to take a stab at it? What do you think the law of Christ is? Love, 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 love. That's the law. That's the perfect law of Christ. So this is saying, listen, if you have a brother or sister in the Lord, they're overtaken in sin, and you know they're in trouble, you're spiritual enough, you need to go them in the spirit of humility and gentleness, and with God's help, you need to help them get back in the fold, back on track, back in where God wants them to be, because the enemy's trying to take them out. And then in verse 2, he says, you need to be responsible enough to bear one another's burden in this. Go through it with them a little bit. 
Help them through this a little bit. Because if you don't, who will? If the church doesn't, who will? I don't know about you, but in my line of work, I know a lot of people who are struggling. Desperately need people to come along their side and help them and to carry a burden with them and love them, care for them. Jesus saves people and the church cares for and disciples people. My heart is for one day we're going to learn to become disciple makers. Not just disciples, but disciple makers. If you don't know this terminology, stay with me. We're going to grow into it. A disciple is a person who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus. That's a disciple. A disciple maker is helping people to trust and follow Jesus as a disciple. Or we could say a disciple maker is a Christian who enters into intentional relationships with people to help them trust and follow Jesus as a disciple. Hey, listen, how many of you would agree? It's not always easy to follow Jesus. How many would agree that it can be a strength to our life to have other followers of Jesus helping us to follow Jesus? That's part of disciple making. And it's intentional. You step into a relationship with someone and you pray for them and you encourage them. You teach them how to read the Bible, how to hear God speak to their heart, how to decipher between truth and error, how to learn what's God's will and what's not, how to make decisions based on the wisdom of the scriptures and following the spirit and not the world or Oprah Winfrey or Dr. Phil or CNN or all of these different suggestions that we get in life. But being a disciple isn't something that we're supposed to do on our own. We're supposed to encourage other people to help us to grow into this. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care for people because he does. What we're saying is that Jesus has commissioned his church, that's you and I, with a great work. Not just telling people you need Jesus, but actually loving people and discipling people and caring for people like a family. Welcoming a child into the family or into their home. Now, how does this relate to Nehemiah? How does the story of Nehemiah relate to your life and my life? Listen, Nehemiah was burdened for God's people and burdened with the need to rebuild the walls so that God's people would not be vulnerable to the enemy. You got that already. So you and I should be burdened for the people of our world we should be burdened with some of those that are in our family. And we should become part of building a place of safety, discipleship, and healing and care for people. Write this down. Here's your third and final fill in the blank. God's work is a great work. God's work is a great work. What God has called us to do is a great work because what we are doing is we're creating a place for people to encounter a living Savior. We have such a good church. We have a church that's willing to reach beyond the walls. We do that through our food pantry ministry. We do that through our trunk or tree. We do that through parents night out. Come on, isn't that something good that we're doing those things? We got a church that does other different types of outreach events on our other campuses. We have a church that is encouraging people with the scriptures and our weekend services. We have amazing children's ministry. 
Parents, your kids are in good hands in our children's ministry. Everyone's background checked. We have leaders that are compassionate and that are loving and are teaching your people to love Jesus. We have a great children's ministry. We have discipleship connect groups where people can learn and grow to follow Jesus together. We've got all kinds of ministry teams. We got our own chef here at Gastonia, Barbara Collins. Got our own chef in the house. We got all kinds of people who have a heart to serve, people who make coffee, people who put out the flags, people who come and clean the church. Why are we doing all of this? We're doing all of this because God's work is a great work. Jesus cares about you. He cares about us. He wants us to build a place where people can be cared for and loved and discipled and nurtured. I love to hear stories about people in our family when they're having a hard time or when they're recovering or they've been sick or they're short a little bit of money. I love to hear stories about our church family who comes around, takes them a meal, prays for them, calls them, pulls a little collection together to help them. Whatever. That's part of church. Amen? God's work is a great work. As we're closing today, just stand to your feet with me. We're a little bit over. I usually end at 11.15. I'm going to have you stand up so you don't fall asleep and you can shake out the legs a little bit, get the blood flowing. But I want us to watch one more worship video. But I want to prepare you. Pay attention to the lyrics. Listen to the lyrics with your heart, not just with your head. Keep in mind that God's work is a great work. Keep in mind He wants for us to care for one another and make a place where people can be safe and nurtured and loved. But I also want you to keep in mind, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.